So seven years ago, Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2010, just as folks on the West Coast began sitting down for their holiday dinner, the Baja Peninsula in northwestern Mexico was rocked by a 7.2 magnitude earthquake that left four people dead. And before the dust could settle, it was followed quickly by more than 350 aftershocks. And although there was, there was no loss of life on the U.S. side of the border, the governor of California proclaimed a state of emergency so that its citizens could respond to the over $1 billion, with a B, $1 billion of property damage that it caused. And when everything was over, radar images from NASA showed that this earthquake had been so intense and so powerful that it had moved the entire city of Calexico by two and a half feet, dramatically changing the lives of many of the people there forever. And you know, as, as we read through the lectionary texts of Holy Week, and I hope, I hope that you are, there are some pretty dramatic earthquakes happening there as well. Two, actually, that are on record. Two that stand out as the two most dramatic and life-changing tremors ever to occur. And both of them are recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew. And both of them happened just three days apart. The first one occurred when Jesus breathed his last on the cross. Matthew 27 tells us, Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs were opened. The second one occurred just three days later, and it's the one recorded for us in our text for today, our lectionary for today, which was from Matthew chapter 28. So hear the words of the true and living God. Matthew writes, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. And then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come and see the place where the body is lying. Now go, quickly, and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they'll see me there. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. If you remember, we've We've talked about this a couple of times before, actually. 
about the fact that women were the first at the cradle and the last to leave the cross. And in our reading today, Matthew shows us that they were the first at the resurrection too. And among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, better known here as the other Mary. I'm not sure how she felt about that. It's kind of like in this church, if you yell out Bob or Shirley, like 18 people are going to come down front, right? So she just, she just got relegated to be the other Mary. But, but what they both felt was that earthquake at Jesus' death. And now they felt another earthquake as they approach his tomb, as God announces the great and awesome thing that his son Jesus Christ has done by shaking the very earth beneath their feet. First in his great wrath, and then in his great joy tying the crucifixion and the resurrection of his son together in what one author has described as a seismic knot which everyone in the land should have recognized. Because God had promised to do that very thing in the Old Testament. And you're really going to laugh at this, but this is, this is one of those times that I really wish that I could sing. Because, and you know, and Lynn, back in the sound booth, she has a very important job. She, you know, she does all of this and keeps this running, but her most important function is to cut my mic when the music starts. Right? That's like that's on the top of her, right? Because I definitely can't sing. But for you fans of who's fans of Handel's Messiah, I know I've got some. Okay, this is that part that he wrote for that very very deep bass soloist who sang from the prophet Haggai chapter two, and he said, "Thus saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Yet once it's a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth." and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and then the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And this whole prophecy was literally being fulfilled as the women were waking up that first Easter morning, but the sad part is, in the midst of the earth shaking all around them, all they can think about is going out to see a tomb. Kind of like you and I would go out to visit a cemetery or to decorate a grave. And you, know, you, don't, you don't really see a whole lot of that anymore. At least I don't around here. Um, when I was younger, little, maybe a little younger than JJ, my family and I visited and tended graves of family members on a pretty regular schedule. That was pretty customary where I'm from. And that's not a bad thing. It's good to have a place to focus our grief and to physically connect with the memories we have of loved ones that have passed on. And, you know, that's, that's really one of the things that makes earthquakes so hard to recover from emotionally is that often the bodies of those lost just can't be found. And so for those families, there's no tangible way to connect their grief to the one whose loss is being grieved. And, you know, maybe that was thoughts like that were on the minds of the women as they went out that day, as they approached the garden tomb. They might have been thinking, well, what if it's caved in? What if we can't find the grave of the Lord we love? And oh, oh, what about that ridiculously large stone that the chief priest had ordered to be rolled in front of the entrance? It's just, it's all too much. But you know what they didn't remember was that none of it was a problem for God, was it? Our God who dispatches one of his angels to hurry down and roll away the stone from the entrance so that when the women got there, they not only saw the exact spot where they had laid Jesus to rest, but they saw very clearly that he wasn't there anymore. And there was an angel that just sat on the top of the stone waiting for them to arrive. But before we go any further, let's be sure that as, as we read that and hear that, that we understand the angel did not roll 
the stone away from the entrance to the tomb to let Jesus out. Jesus no more needed that stone to be rolled away to get out of that tomb than God needed the curtain in the temple to be torn in two so that he could get out of the Holy of Holies. Jesus left that tomb the same way he would later that day enter the locked room where the disciples were hiding out for fear of the Jews. Because now his resurrected and glorified body was no longer bound by the same constraints of time and space that ours are. So the the walls of the tomb could no more contain Jesus than a clear pane of glass can stop the rays of the sun from shining through it. But knowing that, knowing that is much more than just getting the narrative facts of the resurrection story straight. Because what that means for us is there is nothing that Jesus cannot pass through in order to get to you. Your stubbornness, no problem. Deep-seated resentment, can't stop God from getting to you. You've got a total preoccupation with earthly things and try to hold God at arm's length, well, guess what? He can still reach you. And even a rock-hard heart, as thick as Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, can't keep God from reaching you with his gracious offer of salvation. The Bible tells us, therefore, give the people this message from the sovereign Lord, and I give it to you in his name. He says, I'm bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. And then I'll sprinkle you with clean water and make you clean. Your filth will be washed away and you'll no longer worship idols. And I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. And I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will be able to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You see how clear that all is? You see, it's all God's doing. Our redemption that Jesus bought was God's idea. It was his plan to accomplish not ours. And he says, I will bring you back and I will reveal myself through you and I will sprinkle you with clean water and I will reach inside and crush your stony heart with the weight of my holiness and the strength of my love and it will rock you to the very core of your being. And all you have to do is trust him by faith. The faith that he gives us so that we can experience the reality of the empty tomb and and find Jesus and the forgiveness of all of our sins and the unshakable foundation of his peace and his righteousness for us and his salvation for us and his heavenly home for us so that you and I won't need to be afraid no matter what happens around us. Psalm 46 tells us our God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble around us. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A gentle river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city and it cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. You know, at the very break of day on that first Easter morning, that is exactly what happened. That was the message of the angel. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened even if all the powers of the world rage around you and all the earthly foundations you depend on come crashing down because God 
is our refuge and strength, just as he promised. It's the same message that the angel Gabriel gave to Zechariah and to Mary and to Joseph. Fear not. When the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field, they, they were terrified until they heard, don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy. And oh, what good news of great joy the angels had for the women this day. He said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen, just as he said. And I really love the fact here that this angel can't kind of resist doing a little gentle scolding, right? As he tells the women, none of this should come as a surprise to you. And he's reminding them that Jesus has told them over and over in clear and unambiguous terms that the Son of Man would be betrayed into the hands of sinners and crucified and on the third day be raised again from the dead. And in the the middle of trying to process all of this, the women must have had a confused look on their faces, so the angel says, come and and see the place where he lay. And you you get the, the feeling in following Matthew's account here that these poor women were so dumbfounded by all of this that was going on around her, they might have still been standing there today if the angel hadn't told them what to do next. He said, now, go quickly. Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And you almost have to wonder with all this confusion going on, this mixture of emotions running through them, which was greater, the fear or the joy? And then as, as if out of nowhere, before they reach the disciples, our Lord Jesus himself meets them on the road. And he doesn't just meet them, he, he speaks to them. And I have to tell you, whatever the earthquake on Good Friday and the great earthquake on Easter morning might have registered on the Richter scale, I don't think we could begin to measure the quake that this encounter with the Lord must have registered in their hearts. They had seen him crucified. They saw the place where he was buried, and now he's standing right in front of them. Forget about the earthquake. They were experiencing a heartquake. And Matthew tells us, they ran to him and grasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Not they might, but they will. And the aftershocks of that encounter continue to be felt throughout the whole world radiating out from the epicenter of a a borrowed empty tomb. And then it spread to the women, and then to the disciples, and then throughout Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and all the way to a tiny little church on a windy hill that's hundreds of miles and thousands of years away. And those tremors of Easter will continue to shake the world until the last trumpet sounds and creation is renewed. Until then, though, right? you know, you and I know that we continue to live in a world that threatens to crumble at any moment. Earthquakes and tsunamis destroy countless lives without warning. Governments around the world continue to be unstable. Economy is still fragile. And even our own personal lives and families can be shaken and turned upside down overnight with the, the death of a spouse or the diagnosis of a disease. And suddenly we can find ourselves buried under the rubble of life. So the question remains, on what will we base our future? Where will we find our peace in the midst of tragedy? Where are we going to turn for rescue and deliverance? And there is only one place. Because, brothers and sisters, God has done an earth-shattering thing, giving us his only begotten Son as the ransom payment for the sins of the world. 
And by raising him from the dead, God declares to all of us who live right over the fault lines of life that threaten at any moment to bring down the whole world, that by his grace he's done a new thing, an amazing thing, a glorious thing, and that he has made all things new through Jesus Christ, and that in him we have safety, security. We have future. We have a hope. We have stability and peace in the midst of a crumbling and fallen world. The book of Colossians tells us Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. And thank God because, you know, what we have torn apart and destroyed by sin in our lives, God has joined together by the cross and the empty tomb of his son Jesus. The, the fault lines that our rebellion against God have caused are resealed now with the blood of Christ. The chasm that our guilt opened and that separated us from our creator has been closed over again by our gracious Lord. And now, today, although the earth around us isn't physically moving, the Lord is certainly doing some shaking in the world, isn't he? Political alliances, financial systems, ethical standards are, are all being allowed to wobble, and all because for too long people have built lives on this weak cornerstone of human accomplishment and worldly wisdom and personal ingenuity. But the earthquake of Easter reminds us that there is only one secure foundation, and that is Jesus Christ. And that God has a way of shaking up the world when he's doing something big. Because in his sovereignty, God has a purpose for allowing the upheaval in his ordered creation. And right now, I believe he's shaking his people out of apathy and self-focus. Reminding us not to trust in the temporary structures and the worldly pleasures that we see around us, but rather we are to rest on the firm foundation of God's steadfast love and mercy and to share that knowledge with the world outside those doors. Just as our Lord reminded us in the Great Commission that was part of our reading today. In chapter 28, when Jesus said, Jesus came and told the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and you and I as the Lord's ambassadors and as the only ones that are really standing on firm ground have a responsibility to offer this living hope to all of those around us whose foundations are still unstable. Not because we're smarter, not because we're holier or, or more religious or have a better theological education, and definitely not because God needs us to spread the gospel, but because he has given us the gracious command that we are allowed to be the means and the instruments of sharing his message of salvation. And we get the holy privilege to offer to any that will listen a hope and a future that no relationship, no job, no government, not even any religious system can give, and that is the good news of Easter. That's the truth of our testimony and our victory over death in a crucified, risen, and very, very soon returning Savior. Are you ready? Clergymen and 
an author, Philip Brooks, wrote a wrote quite a few things, actually, but one that I want to share with you in closing. He wrote, Tomb, you shall not hold him longer. Death is strong, but life is stronger. Stronger than the dark, the light. Stronger than the wrong, the right. Faith and hope triumphant say Christ will rise on Easter Day. While the patient earth lies waiting, till the morning shall be breaking, shuddering beneath the burden dread of her master cold and dead. Hark, she hears the angel say Christ will rise on Easter Day. And when the sunrise smites the mountains, pouring light from heavenly fountains, then the earth blooms out to greet once again those blessed feet. And her countless voices say, the Lord has risen on Easter Day. So to, to all of those whose world is shaking, to any of you, afraid that the mountains of difficulties in your life are going to come crashing down on you, and especially to any hearing this message whose hearts are still as hard and immovable as that stone that the angel rolled away, this is the good news, the great news of Easter. Don't be afraid, because today the tomb is empty, and brothers and sisters, Christ is risen. And I'm going to ask and invite our baptism candidate to come up, and I'm also going to ask for any who the Lord is calling, if you feel the Lord is calling you to a new life, to, to meet me here at the baptism font. If God has, has reached out and, and changed your heart and you're ready to reject the ways of the world and to receive him, I invite you to come as we greet our baptism candidate. Beloved, our Lord Jesus said, as we have repeated in the sermon, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember also that all of us who have been baptized into Christ are baptized into his death and that we have been buried through him in baptism so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show us that we belong to him. And by water and the Holy Spirit, we are made part of the church, the mystical body of Christ, and joined to him in peace and love. So now, obeying the words of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom the Lord has called. So my dear brother, I ask you, trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin in your life and renounce evil and its power in this world? Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, trusting in his grace alone to save you. Will you be God's faithful disciple, obeying his word, seeking his will, and trusting in him alone? So desiring now to confess your faith, do you believe, brother, in the Holy Trinity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you believe God has revealed himself fully and decisively in the Holy Scriptures containing the Old and New Testaments? Do you believe that there's only one way to salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the sanctity of life based on our creation in the image of God and our election by God for service in his kingdom that leads us to respectfully affirm the sanctity of life at every stage? Do you believe in the biblical guidelines for human sexuality and that marriage is the union of one man and one woman in fidelity and holiness in marriage and chastity outside of marriage for the sake of the kingdom? And do you believe the mission of the church is to spread the good news of the gospel of salvation by every word and deed? Let's pray together. Eternal and gracious God, since the beginning of creation, Lord, you've nourished and 
sustained all living things by the gift of water. In the times of Noah, you destroyed evil by the waters of the flood and saved a remnant for yourself. At the Exodus, you led your people Israel through the waters of the sea out of bondage and into the land of your promise. We praise you, Father, for sending your son Jesus, who for us was baptized in the waters of the Jordan and confirmed as the Christ. And we praise you that in baptism we receive your Holy Spirit, who teaches us and leads us into all truth, filling us, Lord, with a variety of gifts that we might proclaim the gospel to all nations and serve you as a royal priesthood in your kingdom. And so we ask you now, Lord, to pour out your Spirit upon us and upon this water that this font may be a place of new birth. May all who now pass through these waters be delivered from death to life, from bondage to freedom, and from sin to righteousness. Find him in the household of faith, guard him from all evil, and strengthen him to serve you with joy until the day you make all things new. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Dear Brother Peter, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uphold and defend now, Lord, your servant Peter, by your Holy Spirit, Give him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and grant him, Father, joy in your presence now and forever. Amen. Would you please stand for the Apostles' Creed and for our closing hymn? Brothers and sisters, let's confess what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.